they wept the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was fallen his body on the cross his blood poured out for us the weight of every curse upon him Sing high. 
What an exciting day together, and what an incredible privilege that we have to gather and worship our risen Savior. It is an honor to welcome you here today. I know we have many that are visiting with us today, and we are so honored to have you here today. And we would encourage you, if you're visiting with us today and maybe you're looking for a church home, we would encourage you before you rush out to the restaurants or home to eat, if you would stop by our guest table located in the lobby. We have a guest bag that you can pick up. It's got some information about our church. But we would also love to meet you before you leave. Our staff's usually available here up front, but we would love to know how we could serve you better. But it is truly an honor to have you here with us today if you're visiting. And as we begin our service, I just want to read a familiar passage. There's so many that we could read concerning the resurrection. But in Matthew 28, says, But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And it says, As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by his feet and worshipped him. I hope all of us realize today that what we gather to remember and celebrate is the most significant, the most important event in all of human history. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, we are here wasting our time. But we do serve a risen Savior who is worthy of all praise and all glory. And if you do not know him as Lord and Savior today, I hope that you understand that you're not just doing something that's out of tradition. This is something that is essential and something that is such an incredible privilege that we get together and worship a risen Savior, our Lord and our God. So I hope that you will take advantage of the opportunity today. We're going to ask you to stand, and as you stand, take a minute to greet those around you. If you do not know them, welcome them to the service, and let's prepare our hearts to worship together.
just want to mention that this is time that we've set aside for prayer. This is kind of like our invitation. Before the invitation and inside your bulletin, there are a lot of uh, prayer requests in there that you can pray about. Also, we need to, I need to mention to you this morning, we've been praying for Zach in India, and uh, she had her babies. One is one pounds and one is three pounds, and they're at Presbyterian Hospital. So if you will, continue to pray for them. People have asked how they can help. If you'd like to give... To Zach in India during this time, uh, we're not sure how long the babies will be in the hospital. It'll be quite some time, at least two, two months, at least two months. So if you'd like to give, you can give through your offering if you'd like to. Just mark it on your check or mark it on your envelope so that you, if you'd like to help them, please do that. Also, we need to remember Melinda Chapman. She's at Wilkes Hospital. She had been in ICU a large part of last week. And also Beverly Curley, uh, her dad passed... Um, uh, this past weekend, her mom had passed four months prior. So if you will, remember them in prayer. She asked if we would remember her this morning. And uh, as the praise team leads us in this uh, time of worship, if you'll meet me here at the altar to pray. And I'm going to ask one of our deacons, Doug Roney, if he will come and lead us during this prayer time. As they, as they sing, if you'll meet me here at the altar. Thank you. What I need sins, crushed for our iniquity. He bore the punishment that makes us whole. By his wounds we were healed. Let us pray. Father, we love you. Father, we just thank you for this day. Father, in December we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Father, today we celebrate the resurrection of our Father. Father, without this day, Lord, what we do is futile. Lord, you hung on Calvary's cross your blood shed for the atonement of my sins. Lord, you said with that blood atonement that all you have to do is confess with your mouth that you are our Lord and personal Savior. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't have a personal relationship, that doesn't call you their Savior, that they make that decision today before it is eternally too late. Lord, we again, we thank you for this church. We thank you for what they stand for. Lord, we love you. Father, we ask for all these things we ask in your precious and holy name. Amen.
They all walked away with nothing to say. They just lost their dearest friend. All that he said, now he was dead. So this was the way it would end. The dreams they had dreamed were not what they seemed. Now that he was dead and in the jail, the hammer, the nail. How could a night be so
Easter. It means so many different things to people all over the world. But if you condense the meaning of Easter down to one simple truth, you'll always end up with three words. Over and over and over again, three words. He is risen. Jesus of Nazareth is God in the flesh, full of grace, full of truth. He lives a perfect life in a broken world. He's crucified, dead, and buried. But the grave cannot possibly contain him. He is risen. Risen is the conquering and victorious king over sin and death. Risen to invite all people back into the abundant life their souls have been longing for all along. Fast forward 2,000 years. Those three words that have literally changed history now have the power to change us. For those who are lonely and full of doubt, he is risen. For those with songs of praise and for those with cries of lament, he is risen. For the seeking, the broken, the anxious, the depressed, the successful, the young and the old, it's the presence of the risen Jesus that we encounter as the only one who can possibly carry us through it all. And God's priceless gift of salvation resurrects our own lifeless hearts and offers hope to a world that's dying for the same rebirth. All because in the fullness of time, God wrapped himself in human flesh, stepped out of eternity, and chose a tomb outside of Jerusalem to communicate one simple and abiding truth. He is risen. And those three words have the power and the glory to change every waking moment. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. I've been going through 1 Peter for about the last three months. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you will, stand with me. We're going to look at the very three verses we looked at last week, talking about two things this morning. And as you're finding that, I'll quote a great theologian. He says, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I think he was a theologian. Maybe he wrote a country song. But notice what the Bible says. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 Peter says this, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him, now notice that word, those three words, who through him. That's where redemption and resurrection come together. Your salvation, you have salvation today because of redemption, not just because of redemption, and the resurrection. Okay, Who through him believe in God? And what Peter is telling us is that the only way to be born again is to place your faith in someone who has redeemed you and who rose from the dead, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Now here's the benefits of that. So that your faith, and your hope are in God. Do you have faith today? Can you trust God? And do you have hope? Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you for your word. Father, every day is resurrection day. Father, every day I awaken and am born again 
today. It's because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, we cannot buy our salvation. We cannot earn it. You purchased us with your shed blood. And Father, that was not the end of the story, but you rose from the dead. Father, I wonder today if there are people here today, as of right now, who have no hope. I pray that before this service is over, Father, you would give them hope. Father, that we would have hope in life after death. Father, I pray that you would encourage us today and help us to be like the early disciples were and share this good news that our Savior is alive and that he can save lives and change lives forever. Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us, and we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Tim Keller said this. He said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not on whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. John MacArthur says everything in the Christian gospel, everything in the Christian faith depends on Jesus' resurrection from the dead. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, all of Christianity is a false religion. The resurrection is not just one element of the Christian faith. It is the cornerstone. Everything collapses without it. Jesus said this, talking to his disciples. He says, the Son of Man, when he is killed after three days, he will rise again. If Jesus did not rise, then he lied. So convincing was the resurrection of Jesus that his own half-brothers, who did not believe in him, believed in him after the resurrection. As a matter of fact, if you study the Gospels, his half-brothers went to him and said, Jesus, are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? Why are you talking like this? And then he rose from the dead. And James, his half-brother, who didn't believe in him before the resurrection, became one of the first martyrs for the Gospel after the resurrection. Then we have Peter. What a wonderful book. This first chapter of Peter has, is literally life-changing. Peter was a cowardly fisherman who carried a knife, and he would cut you if you messed with him. Amen? And then Jesus saved him, and he still carried his knife, by the way. But God changed his life. God changed his life and made him a preacher of the gospel. One scholar says, we're not asked to merely believe the doctrine of the resurrection. We're asked to worship the person who was risen from the dead. Now think about this. Two things Jesus accomplished for us to, to save us. The first one is redemption. Notice again in verse 18, Peter says, knowing that you were not redeemed, look at the word redeemed, that means to purchase. It gives the idea of someone being a slave who cannot free themselves, and then someone else comes along and says, how much would you take for that person? And then they buy that person, and then they set them free. That's what that means. You've been redeemed, if you will. Redemption. He says, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, which means this, you can't buy your salvation. There's a story in Acts chapter 8 where the apostles are going around preaching and they're laying hands on people and people are receiving the Holy Spirit, right? Now, we can't do that today, but they did it then. And there was a person named Simon there. And he walked up to one of the disciples and he said this. He said, how much can, money can I give you to purchase this gift? And the disciple says, you cannot buy a gift from God. You can't buy it. You can't purchase it. See, Peter is telling these people that are scattered all throughout Turkey, over 750,000 square miles, you don't have enough money to purchase your salvation. 
Voltaire, the famous French atheist and intellectual who really just derided Christianity up until his death. He died a lost man. He was very sick and very wealthy, and he told his doctor, they said he grabbed him by the collar and said, how much money is it going to cost for me to live just six more months? And he says, you can't purchase that. You can't buy your salvation. Aren't you thankful? Now, I grew up a free lunch kid. We couldn't buy nothing. Hey, listen, I'm so thankful that God does not look on the outside and say you earned salvation. You don't have a pedigree good enough to make it to heaven. You were bought with the shed blood of Christ. What a blessing it is that we're all on equal ground when it comes to the cross. You can't buy your salvation. Another thing is this, equally important is this, you cannot earn your salvation. You can't earn it. I think, I think most people in the world today think uh, religion in heaven is like t-ball, where everybody gets a trophy. You know, I co I'm coaching three and four-year-olds, right? I told our parents, this is fun times. Okay, nobody makes an out. Everybody gets on base. Everybody scores. And at the end of the season, everybody gets a trophy. And I said, when your kid plays seven and eighth grade, or seven and eight-year-old ball, that's when the stress starts, okay? But I said, now everybody gets a hit. Everybody gets a trophy. Salva your salvation is not that way. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. There was one uh, man, he's a senator, and he sent out a message to his subscribers. And he said this, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus. Whether you are a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we're able to save ourselves. That's false. You can't save yourselves. As a matter of fact, God, speaking through Isaiah, says this. Notice what he says. He says, but we are all, meaning everybody who's ever been born, like an unclean thing, and all our righteous deeds, not our bad ones, but our good ones, are like filthy rags. Look at those two words in the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, that term filthy is the Hebrew word adah, which literally means the bodily fluids from a woman's menstrual cycle. The word rags comes from the Hebrew word beged, which means it's considered, your righteous deeds are considered by God as repugnant as a soiled female hygiene product. Sorry to be that plain, but that's how the Bible puts it. You can't do enough good deeds to be saved. Most religions of the world are a form of what Christians call works righteousness. In Catholicism, they'll say if you do enough good deeds or pay enough penance, you can earn your salvation. As a matter of fact, some of that started back in the 1000 ADs when the Crusades started. Pope Urban gave what some people call the most important speech in the history of the world. I had to look that up. That's pretty important, right? And what he said to his people was this. He says, as Christians, you must stop fighting each other. You must fight for your homeland. Noble cause. He says, you must, you must not fight your brothers in the faith as they were. He told the Knights. He says, you must defend our faith. The Muslims have taken the Holy Land. And then he says this. He says, I want you to know by the power invested in me that if you make this journey in the crusades, whether you live or die, I grant you remission of sins and you are in paradise when you, when you die. And what he's saying is this, you can earn your salvation. Notice what Paul says to the church at Rome, the very spiritual people. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That's the whole world. 
so that every mouth may be stopped, the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. There are, you can't do enough good works to, be, to save yourself. You can't read enough of the Bible. You can't memorize enough of the Bible. You can't do enough good deeds. You can't give enough to earn your salvation. Being a member of this church does not qualify me for heaven. It does not. Good works will never save you. Notice what he says in Romans chapter 3 again. He says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. Now look at those words. I was asked that question on a Tuesday night. Jamie, are you right with God? I was 20. I knew the answer. No, I am not right with God. Let me ask you this question. As of right now, living the way you're living, loving the things you're loving, Believing the things you're believing, are you right with God? That's the question to ask. That's not a question for you to ask your children or your spouse. It's a question you must ask yourself. As a 20-year-old young man, for the first time in my life, I faced the reality of my losses. And there was nothing I could do about it. Nothing. Look, but now God has shown us some way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Aren't you thankful? I'm so thankful that it's not my behavior that saves me. I could never be saved. Look, he says, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the promises prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That my whole eternity can change by placing my faith in Jesus. Jesus said it's so simple that a child can understand. When I got saved as a 20-year-old young man, I had a childlike faith. I've shared this a lot. I didn't know the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. I couldn't read a hymnal. I had no idea anything in the Bible, but I knew I was lost and Jesus rose from the dead. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. Aren't you thankful? Rich, poor, black, white, Democrat, Republican, Tar Heel fan, Duke, maybe not Duke fans. All right, let's, let's, let's not get carried away here. Look, now notice what he says in, in chapter 4. People are counted as righteous. What a beautiful word. People are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. What a blessing. What a tremendous truth. Because Jesus shed his blood on the cross and died in your place, God is not looking at your behavior. Now look at me, Christian, all you that are saved. You're not saved by your behavior either since salvation. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that once you place your faith and trust in Jesus that you can't lose it because of your behavior? You can't. What a blessing. No other religion offers that. I don't know about you, but I have good days and bad days. I have good days and Jamie days. Those are bad days, right? But I'm so thankful that those days don't, don't disqualify my salvation because I've been redeemed. I've been justified. I've been sanctified. And those things are irrevocable in the court of heaven. What a blessing that is that my works don't save me and my works don't keep me saved. I always do this. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful? What a blessing. But not only is it redemption, but it's the resurrection. Notice what Peter says in verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through him, look at those words, who through him. 
What that means is this way. Stated another way, through him refers to the means by which something is accomplished. Not just redemption, but the resurrection. Not just my sins had to be forgiven, but Jesus had to raise from the dead through redemption and the resurrection. Jesus uses this term through him throughout the Bible. In Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus in John 14 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but, here's this term, through me. The writer of Hebrews says this, He is able to save forever those who, are, who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. And I'll say this, you've got to have the redemption and you've got to have the resurrection. Dead saviors don't save anybody. Dead saviors don't save anybody. There's a missionary who went to a, a Muslim part of the world back in the 60s. And this, this one group of people were just coming to Christ. And he didn't understand it. He said they're the hardest people in the world to win to Jesus. And he was talking to one of the elders in that, that area. And he says, how did you come to Christ? And he says, well, it's simple. It's just like this. We're just common people. He said, he said, our religions say they're the way to God, right? And he says, yeah. He says, well, if I'm traveling down the road and there's a fork in the road and there's two people there to give directions and one's dead and one's alive, which one are you going to ask? He says, Jesus is alive. Does, does the, the person you place your faith in, are they living today? 4,200 world religions in one empty tomb. Jesus Christ resurrection from the dead was a, is a historical fact there's more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than there is for the life of Julius Caesar. Paul told King Agrippa, this thing was not done in a corner. You know all about it. Paul tells the church at Rome, Jesus was authenticated with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Do not compare Jesus Christ to anybody else. There's no comparison. It's Jesus and nobody else. Do not compare Jesus to the gods of Islam or the gods of Buddhism or anybody else. It's Jesus and nobody else. Jesus sits on the throne beside the right hand of the Father. Jesus was authenticated with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Look, the word authenticated. Now, when I think about that, I've shared this story before, but I used to collect baseball, football, and basketball cards. And I used to go and try to find deals, right? I remember about 20 years ago, I went to the Jamestown flea market where you can find deals, okay? There was a guy in overalls, looked smart, he looked smart, had, had, had all these ball cards out there. And I thought, I surely can get a deal out of this guy. And he had an O.J. Simpson rookie card. And I knew, I knew what O.J. Simpson's rookie card was worth at the time. Now it's worth a lot more. And he just went through all he went through, okay? I'm going to take advantage of current events. And I looked at that guy and I said, how much would would you take for that card? He said, $10. I thought, I am really going to take this guy to the cleaners. So I bought it, right? I bought this OJ. I still have it, by the way. But when I got in the car, I was like, this don't look right. <laughs> Something don't look right, you know? Well, I got home and I tried to track the number and these Beckett card thing. To this day, it's been at least 20 years. I cannot authenticate that OJ Simpson rookie card so that $1,000 card is worth nothing. And there's a guy in his overalls laughing at the preacher of East Hillsville Baptist Church. That's what he's doing, right? 
See, Jesus Christ is authenticated because he rose from the dead. Right? See, that's something that every person in this auditorium today, you're going to have to come to grips with. It's either Jesus or nothing. And I say this all the time, but there, nobody loves you like Jesus. Nobody. Every prison I go to, and I talk to men especially, I'll tell them this, Jesus knows all about you. And nobody loves you like he does. I've had men say, preacher, nobody loves me. And I said, Jesus does. And he was right. Nobody loved him. Part of the reason he's in prison for the rest of his life is because nobody loved him. And I said, brother, Jesus knows all about you and loves you. He knows your secret sins, as David said in the Psalms. He knows all about you. Church, Jesus was authenticated by rising from the dead. Aren't you thankful? Because of that, Peter uses two terms in verse 21, faith and hope. That word faith just means you can trust in the Lord. You can trust in the Lord. If you're new here, I, I shared a series of messages about a year or two ago, and I asked this question. Who can you personally trust? Think about it. Who, who can you not? Now, I know you can tell some people some good things that happen. Hey, I'm getting ready to get a promotion. Don't tell nobody, Right? Who can you trust when you've done something that you're so ashamed of that you don't want anybody to know about? Now, let me ask you a question. Who can you trust? Can you trust that person? See, what makes the Proverbs 31 woman so amazing and her price is far above rubies is the, song, uh, the, the writer of Proverbs says, her husband can safely trust in her. And he puts trust above almost everything else. Let me ask you a question. The God you serve, can you trust him? Notice Psalm 25. This is King David. I love him. He's so much like us. Here's David's spiritual life. Here's David's moral life. Here's David's faith. He's just us. And David had messed up here. Do you remember the message I, I preached on when we was going through the life of David? And I said, the title of this message today is The One Night Stand That Changed the World. Well, because of that, David writes Psalm 25. Now listen to what has happened in David's life before he writes this. It's an amazing thing. David's oldest son, Amnon, raped his half-sister, Tamar. Tamar's brother, Absalom, took revenge by murdering Amnon. Absalom fled into exile for several years, but later was permitted to return. But after his return, now listen, David didn't go talk to him. I'm not talking to you. I'm not going to talk to you. And then what happened was Absalom was just like his dad. He was charismatic. He was good looking. He was a warrior. He brought, he brought people's respect. He started judging the people. You got a problem, you come see Absalom. And before long, all of Jerusalem was coming to Absalom. And guess what happened? Absalom became king, kicked his dad out. And here's what happens to David. David and his followers, what was left, started walking out of the city, climbing up the mountain. Just what they had, just what they had on them. It's the king, the king of Israel. And David's walking up there. Now, now notice what he says. This is after that, that instant. He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. David's saying, the only person I can truly trust with this is the Lord. He's the only one I can share my soul with. He's the only one that I can share all these things about. And he says, oh my God, Elohim. The most, power, the most powerful being to ever exist, I trust in 
you let me not be, look at that word, ashamed. I'm so thankful that when I have shame and I'm just like you, that I can go to him with it. That's why I tell people all the time, I'm not a father, I'm not a pope, I'm not any of those things. You don't got to bring that to me. But you can. You don't have to. But you can bring them all to Jesus, aren't you thankful? Why could David trust in God? Because God had good credentials. Isn't it amazing whom we'll trust with our lives? Some of you fly on planes, you don't even know the pilot, right? Some of you do go to the doctor and you know them, but you don't know them. Anybody here ever had surgery, right? Do you realize what happens when you have surgery? I've shared this before, but look, you basically take your clothes off. You get naked. I remember when the nurse, I have one surgery, says, take your clothes off. I said, ma'am, I hardly know you, all right? I'm not going to do that, okay? Then you put on this gown. Then they get you drunk or they get you drugged. Let's put it that way. And then some guy walks in there with a knife, and you're like, go ahead and do it. Just, just cut me. Just take that knife and rip me apart, brother. Why do you do that? Because he has good credentials. Now, do you trust your doctor more than you trust God? Do you trust your counselor, listen to me, or your therapist more than you trust the Lord? I tell people this all the time. Listen, you can tell your therapist because they're bound not to share it. I am too. Pastor confidentiality. But God is greater you can bear your soul. That's why David says, God, please let me not be ashamed. You know what David was saying? I'm guilty. Everything they're saying is true. But God, I trust in you. Aren't you thankful? And not only that, notice, not only can you trust, but you can have hope. Peter says you have faith and you have hope. The word hope means a confident expectation of something that is guaranteed to happen. See, in Peter's day, that, the writings of, of the, the secular people, the, uh, the, the thoughts of the secular people, one scholar says it was all hopelessness. They didn't have any hope. They had absolutely, positively zero hope. Sometimes when I debate somebody, or not debate them, but talk to them, and, and they say they don't believe in God, they kind of characterize themselves as an atheist. We always get back to this one thing, and I'll ask them, what's it like? To live your life with no hope. Can you imagine dying in a hopeless state? I've met people who their circumstances were just hopeless. I've been with people in nursing homes who have no family other than the preacher coming to see them. They're not going to get any better, and to them that seems hopeless. I've been to prisons, all right? in this county and other states, thankfully with Scotty's prison ministry. And you see people and you, and you look at their situation and from a human perspective, it's just hopeless, right? But friends with Jesus, you always have hope. You have a confident expectation. The Bible says this, the writer of Proverbs, the wicked is drawn away in his wickedness, but the righteous has hope in his death. Aren't you thankful? Jesus died so death ultimately will die. Do you have hope today? If you have hope today, what, what have you placed your hope and your faith and your trust in? I'm so thankful that God constantly talks about the hope that we have in Christ, the hope. Think about death for just a moment. And I mention this quite often, Psalm, Psalm 89, 48 says, what man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? Friends, they're not there's not degrees to dead. 
You're going to die. I'm going to die. Either you're going to preach my funeral or I'm going to preach yours. You can be as healthy as humanly possible and still die. Some of us will die quickly. Some of us will die violently. Some of us will die slowly. Some of us will have time with loved ones and others will be shocked, but we're going to die. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. The righteous that we talked about in Romans chapter 3, they have hope in their death. Friends, I hope that you have hope. I hope that you place your faith and trust in Christ. And this is my prayer for you this year, if you'll notice on the screen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus? The Bible says this, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, I wasn't in church tonight, I got saved. The choir wasn't singing, there was no invitation given. I was asked by a man whom I love dearly, have you ever placed your faith in Jesus? And I said, I'm going to tonight. And God changed my life. If you'll stand with me with every head bowed and every eye closed just for a moment. Sharon and the praise team is going to lead us in a, in a, in a, a hymn of invitation. And then after that, what they're going to do is lead us in a hymn of worship. And after they, we sing together a, a few courses of that worship time, then we'll be dismissed. But I'll be down here at the front. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus and you'd like to do that today, you can. Remember that God loves you. He died for you. He rose from the dead for you. He knows all about you. And he wants to save you. If you'll pray with me. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or come forward. Say this. Jesus, today, I trust in you today. I ask you to save me today. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Jesus, I believe only you can forgive my sins. And today, Jesus, I give my life to you. And I ask you to save me. Then if you're here today and you're a Christian and you, need, you have trust issues, trust Him. Maybe you feel like you have no hope. Oh, you have hope. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. This is your time and these are your people. Father, I pray that you'd save for your honor and for your glory. Father, thank you that we can trust in you. Father, all the promises in Jesus are yes. Thank you. And Father, we have hope. Lord, no matter how good or bad things get in our life, we have hope, and we thank you for that. And we love you today, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
clap of praise. I want to thank everyone for being here today. Just want to remind East Hazel Baptist Church, there will no services tonight or Wednesday night. I hope to see you back Sunday morning. God bless you. Happy Easter, and you're dismissed. Thank you.